It's working. Looks like it's working to me. <laughs> it's working. <laughs> Couldn't resist. Probably one of the most quoted uh, statements we have on the show is "It's working." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Sadly, it's probably one of the most quoted Star Wars lines, and it's not because it's good, but it's because it's just <laughs> no. a meme. <laughs> well, I don't think we've had a lore episode where we don't quote Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just because there's usually a, it's usually a, a man, man dis- baby, dis- yeah. disguised as something. <laughs> so there's a lot of there's a lot of disguises in in magic lore. People be disguising. <laughs> That's right. Well, welcome back to our lore series, everyone. Today on the show, we're, well, I suppose we should introduce ourselves as we normally do. I'm Kevin. Yeah, it's, it's fine. I'm Eric. I'm Riley. <laughs> and of course, we have our editor, Ainsley, joining us. Of course, I'm Ainsley. Thank you. And today on the show, we're continuing with Nemesis Part 2. Last week, we talked about most of our main characters returning to the Wrathy Stronghold after Weatherlight's escape, as well as Elodomri's rebels returning to Sky Shroud after their assault on that same stronghold. And we also introduced the former Sky Shroud elf turned Phyrexian agent, Belby, or Belbe, however you like to say Belbe. it. Belbe. Yes, she was <laughs> sent to, to Wrath by her masters to choose a new Evancar. And so far, the candidates were two former crew members of Weatherlight. And we actually left off specifically with Krovax leading the Stronghold Expeditionary Force to Sky Shroud in order to annihilate Elodomri's rebels and prove himself the rightful ruler of Wrath. I feel like there's going to be more fighting and less completion this time. Mm, it's, yeah. Really? Yeah. Fun prediction. Yeah, that's a good prediction. <laughs> yeah, usually, usually the middle part of the lore series, if there's three parts, the second part usually has the most fighting mm-hmm. and, like, blood. Mm. Oh, he, is, he is a vampire. Or glistening mm-hmm. oil. Yeah. Oh, gl- hey. yes, right. Mm-hmm. Glistening yeah, oil. That's correct, right. So, Krovax and his corps of sergeants rode in the rear of the expeditionary force. In the rear? In the rear. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughing> at wow. That. <laughs> you know? Am I five? <laughs> Sometimes you just, you just gotta be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody so was they... thinking it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had to say it. I guess I wasn't thinking about it when I wrote it, but regardless. <laughs> they used perchers to relay orders to the various parts of the army. In case, And in case you're wondering, perchers were another one of Volrath's creations. They were pigeon-sized flyers with leathery blue wings and uh, flaring trumpet-shaped mouths. Yeah, look at the snoot on that bad boy. That was a snoot. Mm-hmm. Yo, there are two perchers printed in Magic. The, yeah, there's a regular one, and then a Belbe has one. Yeah. Both is it, is it called Belbe's Percher? <laughs> you got it. Nice. What is, the, what is the actual creature type on that, Eric? Bird. Okay, so, <laughs> kind of bird so they can go into your bird tribal deck. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so they were capable of understanding simple commands and could repeat short messages verbatim so that's how they communicated with their you know and they also used them around the stronghold as well it was just before nightfall when the army reached the outpost of sharif 
The outpost was a two-story blockhouse that sat at the edge of one of Wrath's flowstone seas, and only hours earlier the outpost had had other visitors, Elidomri's rebels. Elidomri and his men made quick work of the 48 soldiers stationed at the outpost, and they were about to burn it down when they spotted the huge dust cloud raised by Krovax's oncoming army. And rather than be caught in the open by a vastly superior force trying to of escape, Elidomri kept his warriors inside and sent some of the Dahl and Vec warriors, disguised as stronghold soldiers, out to meet Krovax. Smart guy. Yeah. That group was led by a Dahl man called Darset, and when Krovax arrived with his army, they drank a bunch of water from the outpost's cisterns, which is kind of like a well, I think, and Krovax asked if they'd encountered any rebel activity activity in the past few hours. Darset claimed everything had been quiet. And with that taken care of, Krovax ordered the army to move out and he planned to make the march all night. So they'd marched all day, all night, no rest. So once they were gone, uh, Darset went inside to see what Elidomri, Elidomri planned to do next. His plan to destroy every outpost from Sky Shroud to the Stronghold hadn't changed, but with the knowledge that Krovax was leading an army to his home meant that he had to send word to his people to leave their villages and travel deeper into the forest. Hey, people. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Get out of here. <laughs> so once the army was out of sight, Elidomri and his crew set fire to the outpost and headed for Sky Shroud. <laughs> and they did that to a bunch of outposts. They like rolled up on them, killed everybody, burned them down. That's sad. It's pretty wasteful. Well, I mean, it's war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they took the stuff. They took their stuff. <laughs> they, they pillaged? They pillaged. They, they pillaged. got a pillage. Yeah. They're like a nomad army. I hope they didn't R, because usually R no. goes along with pillaging. Mm, well, the book doesn't cover it. But oh, good. There's, they're good guys. Good guys usually. You know they're going they, in the back. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> they're going in the rear? They're going, yeah, the old cistern. <laughs> so... <laughs> so Krovax and his army did indeed march all night, but it was worth it because near daybreak they were, they were rewarded when a scout spotted a group of elves on the open plain. Not rebels, though, just a hunting party, mostly young men, hmm. like teenagers. Krovax ordered that they be captured, and when they were brought to him for questioning, he immediately ordered that five of the eight elves be beheaded. And then he killed two more with a mixture of flowstone manipulation and brute force after they wouldn't give up the location of Elidomri's home. And then the last elf, elf, Valen was his name, gave up the location without even having to be asked. Well, he's like the last one left. So the other ones yeah, didn't know I mean, that he gave it up. Elidomri lives in the village of Sweetwater. He left there five days ago to meet Dalcor and Vec chiefs to convince them to join the rebellion. He's like, I'm not scared at all. I'm sassy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's, he, he's, he's a teenager. Yeah, he's, he's like, like, ooh, you killed all my friends. I ain't scared. Oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you, want, I you like, want me to No, no, I like scared? what you did. I like what you did. Yeah. <laughs> so... I made an artistic decision. Yeah, it works. It I works. just watched seven <laughs> people die, but like, 
<laughs> Ooh, you're big and scary. You got them it's strong like, arms. <laughs> it's because when you give us the quotes, there's no context. Yeah. So I practice them ahead of time, and I, I don't know. I guess, yeah. you know, I practice a certain tone. Yeah, it's, it seems to be more fun that way. <laughs> so, anyways, Valen asked... Uh, he asked that his life be spared, and Krovak's obliged by punching him in the face so hard that he fell to the ground unconscious. Oof. Then Krovak's ordered that he be placed with uh, in his personal luggage until they reach their destination. Uh, like, hang on, in in Krovak's personal luggage or in the dude's personal luggage? Like, like his like no, they didn't. Elven ha- it's, <laughs> it, they, he didn't have any luggage. <laughs> it was just it's just, Cro- it's just it's just Krovax's luggage. Krovax yeah. has, I guess, brought a bunch of luggage with him. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> well, well, fun fact. Apparently, so um, Justin Bieber, Canadian pop star Justin Bieber, was very popular. Still is. But, like, would have, like, all these crazy fans going nuts every time he went anywhere. That one time, apparently, he hid in, like, a hockey duffel bag. And a security guard carried him out in a duffel bag so that he wouldn't get, like, attacked by fans. It is fun to hide in, like, a big piece of, uh, like, a bag or luggage or something. As you're going by, like, ha, got these people. They'll find me. So, after that, Krovax ordered the army move out, but Elodomri and a small scouting party were hidden in the waves of the Flowstone Sea and they'd been watching. A couple of Elodomri's compatriots, uh, el- elves called Galan and Cardamel, wanted to save Valen, but come on, they're not, what are they going to do? What are you going to do? Save me? What are you going to do about it? Yeah, because if they tried to save them, you know, there's a, a far superior force. They would just get ki- kidnapped too or or be killed. In spite of all that, Elodomri had a plan to destroy the entire uh, stronghold army. He explained that in less than a day, the army would reach Sky Shroud, but by then, it would be so stretched out from the long walk um, that, well, they'd be stretched out so they wouldn't be all together and they wouldn't be a cohesive fighting force. And mm-hmm. that's something that I didn't actually think about with like these more... I guess like medieval armies, if they have to march, they all have to stay in formation. So like, if you have a force of like twenty thousand guys, and it's like I don't know, how many wide are you gonna do? Like maybe twenty. Yeah. yeah, it's like how, how much space do you have? More? And obviously, it's like you gotta wait. Yeah, till they you know how, 10, how long are you rows. waiting at the end? If you're like in the last row, how long are you waiting? Everybody moves out. Or it's a thousand rows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You think city traffic's bad? So, Oof. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah. Or if you fall down or something and you're in the middle. <laughs> yeah, you're done. Yikes. You're done. That's the end of your yeah. career. <laughs> yeah. you're, you are like way done. You just got demoted. You are now <laughs> back a few rows. A corpse. Yeah. <laughs> you are now a corpse. corpse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, the combination of Sky Shroud warriors, uh, the doll, and the Vec would be a few thousand strong, and they'd strike the army just before dawn when most of them would be asleep because by that point i guess like the last night Krovax is like okay we're kind of gonna make camp and you guys can go to sleep and then we'll um be refreshed and then we'll yeah be ready for battle so yeah so after hearing his plan uh everybody was on board uh like we mentioned he's a smart guy except for uh galen and cardamel they hung back to discuss what should be done about valen galen basically said you know we can't go against eladomri's 
orders and Cardamel's like, yeah, but we should save this guy because I'm related to him some way, like cousins or something. And Galen's like, you know what? If you slip away unnoticed, I'll forget about this conversation. Um, so that's what he did. Nice. Uh, that's what Cardamel, Cardamel did, and he took three other elves uh, with him, and they uh, snuck away and, and tracked down Krovax's army. The whole thing, too, doesn't... I mean, they don't explain it very well because they're essentially going in the same direction because they're just on a big flat plain, so I don't know how easy it is to, like, hide until you get to the forest, but anyways. Maybe there was, like, a hill um, or something. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> like... one one giant hill. <laughs> Maybe it's, like, tall wheatgrass. You can kind of, like, hunker down and, like... Yeah, yeah. So while Krovax and Eladomri played cat and mouse, Belbe was leading two stronghold guards carrying an injured Erte to Volrath's laboratory. Before her arrival on Wrath, her benefactors supplied her with a complete inventory of the stronghold, including items in Volrath's suite of rooms. So when they arrived in the laboratory, Belbe knew she would find the device that was capable of healing all Erte's injuries. Vorath had designed and built the machine to heal animals he'd surgically altered, uh, but it was also capable, on a higher setting, to, of mutating creatures into drastically different forms. What in so, the heck? at the base of the device sat a large circular slab of crystal. The top of the slab was grooved with five concentric rings, while the sides were lined with narrow vertical flutes. The slab was situated beneath an elaborate metal tripod 15 feet tall. Uh, and that part of the device actually resembled the stronghold itself, if that helps you imagine it. Anyway, the tripod supported a second faceted crystal, about half the diameter of the slab below it, with wires attached to it that ran off into the laboratory in all directions. Those wires led to various power stones that were used to power the lab's contraptions. So, Belbe ordered the guards to help Erte onto the large slab at the base of the device while explaining what it was for. Uh, Erte was dubious of the potential results, but he was none too fond of his injuries, so he decided to let events play out. And he had no illusions about becoming Evancar, but he did think that if he were well again, he might be able to escape the stronghold, make it back to Portal Canyon, activate the portal, and travel home to Dominaria. The loss of such a talented wizard would be an infamous crime, a terrible loss to civilization. And uh, either way, Belby went to the shielded control station where the controls for the device were located. She told the guards to stand back from the platform holding Erte, made a few adjustments to the control panel, and the machine did its work. It was a strange sensation, dark energy in its pure form. Erte discovered that it felt cold, and his body felt flooded by ice that spread from his chest down each of his limbs and head. In spite of the sensation, it did blot out the pain from his injuries. So what did it matter if he was infused with black mana? Oh. So he climbed off the platform, fully healed, but when he tried to materialize a flame on the tip of his finger, it was black instead of normal fire color. That's badass. And he was able to turn the flame back to a more natural color, but he had not intended for it to be black when he created it. And so... The moral of the story is probably don't get into strange machines. <laughs> <laughs> or you'll be infused with black yeah. mana. <laughs> the, the end. The end. <laughs> so, Belby beckoned Erte to follow her out of the lab because it was time for a proper bath. And as he was leaving, he saw two empty suits of armor standing near the door. The men inside, the two guards who'd brought him there, were gone. 
and naturally he asked Belbe where they'd gone. And that's when his foot snagged something soft and his question was answered. He looked down to see a five foot long gray slug and then a second one nudging at one of the suits of armor. Nonplussed, Belbe said mildly, Perhaps I used too high a setting after all. Yeah, turn them into slugs. Yeah. I don't know how, but... Oh, so she did the machine. She did the machine on those guys too, I guess? Well, it's because they weren't in the machine, but I don't know, because they were standing near it. I really... They don't don't really give an explanation about it. Sure, but like it exudes like the mana and like the power and stuff, so they would get hit by it. That makes Mm -hmm. sense. Belby took uh, Erte to the Evancar suite for a bath. While bathing and chatting with Belbe about his candidacy for Evancar, Grevin was on the underside of the Citadel, supervising the repairs to the airship. That's when that rascal Fura showed up. You guys remember him? Fura. Fura. Uh, Fishers, what is it? Fishers of Men? Something like Anyways, while Grevin was looking over Predator's schematics, he noticed the ethereal core standing not two feet away from him. When Grevin asked him how he'd gotten into the stronghold, Fura introduced himself as one of the Fishers of Men. The Fishers of Men lived just outside the City of Traders, and because of that, they were more concerned with their standing in the stronghold than certain other rebellious, rebellious, wrathy factions. So, Fura informed Grevin about the meeting with Eladomri, the doll and the vac he'd attended. He told Grevin what the rebels were planning, and he decided to take that information to someone higher up on the stronghold food chain. He found Belbe in the Evancar's suite, with the bathing Erte, and when Grevin <laughs> saw that, uh, saw that he was understandably dumbfounded. He'd gotten everything he'd needed from the young wizard and had left him in the dungeon to die. And when he asked Belbe why she why she'd brought him to the suite, she explained that Erte was up for the role of Evancar. Mm-hmm. And Grevin, Grevin was speechless, and Belbe took that opportunity to inquire about Grevin's candidacy for Evancar. Which reminds me, Lord Grevin. Would you like to be considered for Evancar as well? You have many years of effective service on your side and manifest talents for the job. There it was, plainly stated at last. Grevin had pondered this possibility since Volrath's departure, and he knew what his answer must be. Thank you, Your Excellency, but I must decline. As you choose, but why? I am content to remain a loyal servant to the throne. It would mean the end of the control rod. I've considered that. I served Volrath for many years, and I've seen firsthand the effect unfettered power had on him. I would rather be the blade than the hand that wields it. Yeah, so it's just the two of them. The uh, Krovax and Erte uh, vying for Evan Carship, because he was the only other candidate. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Um, but, of course, in a, in a, you know, a one-on-one uh, like fight, Krovax would definitely win, even at his current, current power level. Um, so, with that taken care of, Grevin arrived at the reason for his visit. He explained to Belbe what the core Fura had told him about the alliance between Eladomri's elves and the Dal and the Vec tribes, and what Krovax was likely marching into, and Grevin also asked if he could take what was left of their army to aid Krovax in Skyshroud, and even though he thought it was unlikely he would reach them before the rebel strike. Um, regardless, Belbe wouldn't allow Grevin or anyone else to aid Krovax. The, mis- the mission had been Krovax's idea, a mission intended to display his qualifications for becoming Evancar, and he would have to succeed or fail on his own. 
Uh, Grevin didn't care, though, about Krovax and would have preferred his failure, but he worried about the loss of so many soldiers, his best among them. Uh, but what the emissary said went, went, so Grevin moved on to his next concern. He feared that if Krovax failed to pacify the rebellion, the Dal, Vec, and Kor living in the city of traitors would revolt against the stronghold. And remember, that's the city uh, beneath uh, the citadel. Mm. And that's when Erte suggested that they take hostages. He explained that they should take hostages from the leading Dal, Vec, and Kor families until things settled. Which is, I think, a pretty good idea. Uh, Grevin and Belbe liked the idea, so Belbe got in touch with Dorian, who knew many of the leading families in the city, and he decided how many and who would be taken, then Grevin rounded them up. Uh, the whole process took about eight hours, and by the time they finished, the sun was beginning to rise. Uh, they'd spent that time gathering 2,000 hostages from each tribe for a total of 6,000 people, Holy. and they led them out of the city to uh, some nearby ruins, and Grevin did that with 2,000 soldiers and another 2,000 mogs to keep the hostages under control uh, until things settled and they could return them to the city of traitors. That's a lot. It's a lot of people, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a lot so, of hostages to take. I thought they were going to do, you know, like 20, 30 or something of like high-powered people. I guess at the stronghold, you got to go big or go home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, just as the previous night fell, while Grevin was beginning to gather hostages, Krovax and his army arrived near the edge of the Sky Shroud Forest. Krovax allowed the weary army to halt and make camp for the night. He planned to penetrate the forest at first light. So this whole thing took like, I think it's about three days. Mm -hmm. But Krovax would soon find out that nothing would go according to plan. While the army was setting up camp, Krovax sent the 12 condemned officers into the forest to find a safe route for the following morning. After their initial probes, only eight of the men returned. The other four were never seen again. But those that did return to report to Krovax claimed the forest was rife with deadly obstacles. Uh, more interestingly, they found not a single track made by an elf. It's because they used the trees. Ah... So, Krovax did what any good leader would do. He sent the exhausted men back into the forest, ordering <laughs> that they shouldn't return until they found safe passage to Eladomri's village. Well, they're Sweetwater. all going to die. Bye. Yeah, yeah. I don't think, I don't think they uh, get reinstated as officers. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> so, after the army made camp and Krovax was alone in his tent, he opened the piece of luggage Valen was stored in. It's Krovax's luggage. And by that point, the young elf had awoken from the earlier knock on the head. Krovax had stored him in a large brass chest, and when he opened it, why would you bring an empty chest? But anyways. For treasure. <laughs> you never know when you've got to yeah. store a person. It's, like, that's it's true. true. That's true. I mean, when you're insane like Krovax is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're telling me you're not like going on a trip to the States or something. It's like, oh, we're going to go to Vegas. You got to leave room in your suitcase for souvenirs. Free shopping. Yeah. Free, yeah. Shopping. Free, yeah. free humans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he opened the chest and he said, Hello. He reached in and dragged out the elf prisoner, Valen. The youth's hands and feet were chained, and a, a strip of rag gagged his mouth. Krovac sat down on a pile of carpets and regarded his prisoner. Do you believe in curses, boy? You should believe. They're real. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, he's like, okay, I'm packing my empty little chest, 
and I'm packing my little pile of carpets in case I need to get cozy. <laughs> I know. Why does he have carpets? <laughs> so then he explained everything we already know, the amulet that bound Selenia to his family, its destruction, her death, and his first transformation that into the creature that killed Miri, and then the second one that occurred during his time on Phyrexia. And he finished by explaining his newfound power to absorb the life force of the near-dead, saying that, So far, I've only tasted life from the dying. Tonight, I'll dine on the living. Phelan struggled to reach the door of the tent, but Krovax caught him in two steps and grabbed him by the head. It's an honor, really. At least I know your name, Phelan. The thousands who follow you will be as anonymous as cattle. And just like that, Krovax sucked the young elf dry. That's what he gets for being sassy earlier yeah. when he should have been afraid. Yes. So, sh- <laughs> so shortly after Krovax deprived us of Valen's company, the four elf rescue party arrived at the outskirts of the camp just in time. Cardamel and his companions, Kamiko, Darian, and Sanyu, were successful in infiltrating the camp, and two of them, Kamiko and Darian, made their way to Krovax's tent, while Cardamel and Sanyu hid nearby to keep a lookout. Uh, and they didn't know exactly where the tent was at first, so when they encountered their first Vex soldier, they sort of kidnapped him and held him hostage, while he led them to the tent in question. When the two elves and the Vex soldier entered the tent, they traveled through what seemed like a maze of canvas rooms until they reached one big one. In it, they saw Valen's lifeless body lying on the floor and Krovax sitting on that same pile of carpets in what seemed like a drunken stupor. <laughs> sitting on my pile of carpets. <laughs> we don't have mattresses. Yeah, I was going to say, I guess they didn't really have, like, you know, inflatable mattresses or whatever. Just a pile of carpets. Just bring my carpet. Yeah. <laughs> I bring them, I got my carpet chest, I got my empty chest. <laughs> So, whatever it was, Krovax didn't seem to notice when Kamiko approached Valen's body. The young elf was definitely dead, but he didn't have he didn't appear to have any signs of violence on him. Spooky. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin waggled his finger when he said that, FYI. <laughs> so rewind it and imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Rewind it. <laughs> so, while the two elves were in awe about that fact. The Vex soldier that Darian was sort of using like a human shield used the elf's surprise state to try to escape from Darian's clutches, and the two fell to the floor of the tent, grappling for Darian's knife in a pile of carpets. Mm. No, I, just, I added the carpet thing. <laughs> so, Kamiko was about to help Darian when Krovax rose from his stupor and grabbed the elf by the wrist. So, Kamiko drew his knife with his other hand, but before he could use it on Krovax, the ascendant Evancar grabbed that wrist and crushed it. Ooh. Boom. Yeah. Ouch. So the, nov- the novel's ambiguous about the fate of the two elves, but they're probably killed during their encounter with Krovax because shortly after this, the camp erupts in alarm and Cardamel and Sanyu overhear cries that assassins were trying to kill their commander. So they just decided to run for it. Help, assassins! <laughs> Help! So, unfortunately for them, a couple of cavalry sentries saw them running and gave chase. Realizing this, Cardamel and Sanyu split up. The two sentries remained on Cardamel's trail, but he was able to kill both of them, and after that, he just kept on running. And again, it's more exciting in the book. I'm kind of. I just, was running! Uh, yeah. <laughs> Run! <laughs> so. 
the novel doesn't uh, again explain what happened to Sanyu, uh, but he probably died because there's no further mention of him in the book. <laughs> <laughs> so when Cardamo was confident there was no one on his trail, he stopped and crouched down in the tall grass to rest. And that's when he heard the unmistakable voice of Ella Domri. He's a Domi. Get up. He looked up into the grim face of Eladomri. Cardamel opened his mouth to speak, but the rebel leader cut him off with a curt wave of his hand. Save your entreaties. You disobeyed me, Cardamel. How many warriors did you lose on your mog's errand? <laughs> Mutely, Cardamel held up three fingers. This man. <laughs> did, you, did you hold up three fingers? <laughs> I shook them. So that's the price we pay for your night of foolishness. Yeah, that's a really good. That's a really good Eldamri voice. It is really good. (laughs) That's really good. You accomplished nothing, and our men have died. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's not great. So just then, a courier ran up with a message for Eldamri. It was from Tant Jova letting him know that because the Stronghold camp was on high alert, they had found the Vec warriors hiding at the edge of the Stronghold swamp. And at that point, it wasn't even midnight, hours before the planned attack, and in the distance, the three elves could hear the sounds of battle growing. So, Eladomri got messages to the core, and elf factions waiting deeper in the forest, and began the battle. Uh, so the actual battle didn't last that long because some of the Vec warriors started a fire in the brush surrounding the stronghold camp. And that fire quickly began to move from the brush to the maze of tents, making up the camp. And by that point, Eladomri had returned to the edge of the forest where a group of elf warriors had mustered. And that's when he saw Krovax emerge from the camp, screaming and challenging Eladomri to fight him face to face. It's like, no way, buddy. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Get out of here, fight I'm going to fight you face <laughs> to face. So like, the guy hasn't me. survived this long. Yeah. Yeah, that's. <laughs> it's because some, like, muscly, roid so... rage dude comes out. Fight me! Like, no! <laughs> fight me! It's not even fair. <laughs> <laughs> He silently declined Krovax's challenge, uh, but he did order segments of his warriors to form an offensive perimeter around the sides of the camp that weren't surrounded by fire. Then the rebels, screaming, shouting, and banging their weapons against their shields, closed in on the stronghold soldiers. The flustered soldiers formed a hollow square and fended off waves of rebel attacks, the dead and wounded piling up deeper each time a fresh attack broke over them. And gradually, the exhausted stronghold line was pushed backward, changing from a square to a narrow triangle. Eladomri kept the pressure on throughout the night while segments of his force were set away to safety in the forest. And by daybreak, most of them had escaped into the forest and the fire had died. The stronghold camp was pretty much burned to the ground by then. And of the 10,000 soldiers that arrived at the edge of the forest the night before, 2,000 were dead with another 3,000 wounded, and only a few hundred mogs remained, Um, but they weren't necessarily killed. The book says that maybe they just, like, ran off. So, um, things weren't looking too good for Krovax at that point, Um, and it wasn't all celebrations for Eladomri and his crew, because with far slender resources, their losses numbered just over 100 elves, three dozen doll, and nearly 200 of Tant Jova's Vec nomads. Mm. And on top of that, they weren't able to plunder the Stronghold Army's weapons and supplies due to the fire, which was what they were 
you know, really hoping for. They got a, got a plunder. So the battle was uh, sort of a draw, um, but it was the first time in their shared history that Rathi natives had beaten stronghold forces in battle, even though they didn't really win. Um, and as disappointed as Eladomri was, Tant Jova saw this as a victory and that they could use it to rally more rebels to their cause. In any case, she explained to Eladomri, Another thing, perhaps most important of all, I have this morning received a summons from the Oracle on Vec. She has tidings, she says, of the Corvec doll. Good old lady voice, by the way. Thanks. Um, <laughs> that's kind of going back to our uh, Wrath and Storm series where we first met the Oracle on Vec, and she thought Gerard might have been the Corvec doll, which was the fabled deliverer of Vec prophecy, a hero that would overthrow the stronghold and lead the people of Wrath to freedom. But by that point in the story, Gerard had left Wrath on Weatherlight, so the Oracle and the Vec were pretty sure that Gerard was not the Corvac doll. I miss Gerard. I miss Karn. Uh, he's in the next one. Karn. Oh, good. Well, he's <laughs> the one after that, but the next one's just going to be short because it's... it's uh, a novella it's sort of like a, the all three of these books in this trilogy are like standalone books and this one is like the most standalone of all but like teferi comes back in it and baron and rain there in it so it's Aww. pretty much just going to be about them but just it's gonna be tight karn's a good boy yes <laughs> anyway eladomri tant jova and a large part of their rebel army headed to kore which was an elven holy site deep in the forest where hooray. the oracle waited hooray with a k <laughs> So before we move on to the next part of the story, we need to mention that during that same night that we just mentioned, the uh, Belle Bay made her first inspection of the Flowstone factory beneath the stronghold. Uh, five Mogs accompanied her, carrying the monitoring device her master sent with her. And um, when she located the smart control station in the factory, she installed the monitoring device so she'd be able to keep tabs on Flowstone production. In addition to monitoring, the device also superseded the control station's control, leaving her and whoever the next Evancar ended up being in complete control of Flowstone production. So the Mogs also carried the transplanter portal device Belvery brought with her, and after she was finished on the factory level, she led the Mogs to Volrath's Dream Halls. Once there, she hid the device for later use, then she made a mental note to order Grevin to have the Mogs accompanying her executed at his earliest convenience, and then she went to look for Grevin. No witnesses. No witnesses. <laughs> That's right. They're just mobs. So that <laughs> that took most of the night, and by daybreak, Balbe was making her way to the lower airship dock where Predator was being repaired. By then, her hull was reassembled, and new deck fittings were being installed. All that remained was the installation of her engine, rigging, and weaponry. Balbe found... Grevin's Vec foreman and asked where he was. The foreman hadn't seen Grevin since the day before, so she went to leave. And on her way out, the foreman asked Belbe to tell Lord Grevin to return to the dock as soon as possible, as they didn't dare try to install the engine without his supervision. And once uh, one of the dock guards also informed Belbe that Grevin was probably in the ruins beyond the city of traders, and of course, that's where he was. And remember uh, Predator's engine, it's like sort of like semi-sentient and it can like walk around it's like a phyrexian creation i think we talked about oh, that yeah yeah at the storm it's, pre it's pretty cool um unfortunately they don't get into it in this book but uh so the guard also informed belbe 
that that was where Greven and Dorian had taken the doll, Vec, and Kor hostages, suggested by Erte, and greenlit by her. So naturally, she wanted to find out exactly what was going on with the hostages. But without Predator Airworthy, the trip to the ruins would take considerable time. But that's when Erte showed up looking for her, and she informed him of her dilemma, and he told her that he could ferry her to the ruins faster than any airship. Uh, so Belby was on board for whatever, and Erte sat down cross-legged on the deck floor, pressed his hands together, and magically manifested what looked like a giant predatory bird. Ooh, An illusion. <laughs> yeah. Erte beckoned the bird toward himself, and when it arrived, it scooped him up by the waist in one of its talon claws and did the same for Belbe. Then he guided the phantom bird down to the ruins. When they arrived, they found the hostages filling the makeshift stockades and Grevin having a little picnic with Dorian Ilvec. Mm. On a pile of carpets. <laughs> Always the carpets. <laughs> so when they saw her approaching, they both stood up, bowed, and greeted her. The first thing she wanted to know was uh, a rundown of the hostages. Um, but when but when she found out that most of them were women, children, and the aged, she wasn't pleased. If Krovax failed to defeat Eladomery's rebellion or any harm came to the hostages, then the able-bodied Dalvek and Kor men living in the city of traitors might also rebel against their Phyrexian masters. And Krovax obviously hadn't won the battle against Eladomery, um, a fact that none of them were aware of, so they waited for his um, triumphant return. So, what happened to Krovax in the battle? You guys are probably wondering. What happened to Krovax in the battle? <laughs> he survived. <laughs> He survived, and he spent the following two days sequestered in a makeshift tent, which was just a single stall with a canvas roof and... And no pile of carpets. <laughs> no pile of carpets. Lost his carpets. Lost them. Too bad. <laughs> That's his power source. <laughs> <laughs> so command of what was left of the stronghold army fell to Nasser, who organized the dead to be burned and the living accounted for along with the supplies. That process took that same amount of time, that two days, and while it was underway, Nasser sent scout parties into the forest to search for signs of Eladarmi's forces. And of course, they found no traces of the rebels because they didn't look in the trees. But by then, Krovax had emerged from his tent once, telling his sergeants that the army would be returning to the stronghold. Then, when the army was ready to march, Nasser approached Krovax's makeshift tent to find out if he was ready. And as he did, he heard a muffled thud and saw a cloud. I just keep thinking of piles of carpets. <laughs> he heard a muffled thud and saw a cloud of dust whirling around the tent. Then shafts of white light burst from every crack and crevice in the canvas walls. And Nasser threw his arms in front of his face, and the tent collapsed with a spurt of gray dust and ash and carpets. <laughs> <laughs> so Nasser inspected the pile of canvas and dirt. But Krovax was nowhere to be found. So he followed Krovax's last order and began the long march back to the stronghold. What do you guys think happened to him? Where the hell is Krovax? Oh, yeah. did Yogmoth do that thingy again? Oh, that's a good guess. Yeah, that's a good guess. He probably turned into a bat and flew away. <laughs> <laughs> so by that point, Predator was airborne again. Once the hostages were secured, Grevin returned to the airship dock and oversaw the installation of her engine, rigging, and final repairs to her hull, and all that was left was her weaponry. And while that was going on, Belboe was making one of her periodic rounds of the Citadel. 
First, she stopped at the library and found Erte, whose physical appearance had changed quite a bit due to his continued use of Volrath's healing device. And as I'm realizing now I forgot to mention, so it doesn't like permanently heal you. You have to keep doing it because if you, if you go in for one treatment and then you wait a while, your injuries return. Oh. So it doesn't heal you. It just kind of like temporarily heals you, but you're not really, really healed. More of like an illusion. So he, so he has to keep doing it. Yeah. Ah. That's, yeah, that's black mana for you. As as he was sitting in the uh, uh, library reading, Belbe was disturbed by what she saw. Never a muscular guy previously, Erte's upper body was now covered with ropey muscles, making him look like a lesser version of Grevin. And his hair was also no longer bright blonde. Now it was a copper-brown color. Hey. Erte, Erte wasn't concerned, though. In addition to the physical changes he'd experienced, his capacity for new information and his control over Flowstone was also expanding. He told Belbe that he'd been reading eight books a day, and he would soon get through the entire library. Although she was impressed with his newfound abilities, she warned him again that he needed to be careful with Volrath's healing device. But he just buried his face in another book, so she left to inspect the Flowstone production facility. Well, it's like, if it only temporarily heals you, like, what are you supposed to do about your injuries? Well, you just kind of, you. I guess you let them return, and then, you know, you go to the Pro- hospital. Properly heal them? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, once she located the control room, she checked the monitoring device she'd installed, and she found that the facility was overproducing Flowstone at an inefficient level to keep up with demand. Uh, the Rathi overlay and, and everything that goes along with that. So she attempted to correct the production issue by hand, but like the many mechanisms in the stronghold, it was self-correcting, so anything she did would be fixed by the mechanism controlling production. And regardless, she adjusted the output meter, but while she, while she was doing that, she noticed a small white ball of light about two feet wide circling and descending the energy column that programmed the flowstone. What's then that? it shot up beyond the upper airship dock and out of sight. So she followed it. After searching high and low, Belby found the phantom intruder in the dream halls, but the ball of light had materialized into Krovax. No. He could teleport now. Ooh. That's that's how he that's how he teleports. It's kinda like a bat. Does he fly on magic carpets? <laughs> no, he just teleports. Oh. Yeah, I fly I mean, on my, my my pile of magic carpets. I mean if you think a ball of light's the same as a bat, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's basically the same thing. thing. It's close enough. <laughs> yeah. They both eat mosquitoes. <laughs> and <laughs> so he greeted Belve, and her first question was, What about the army? Why did you leave them? My army? Worthless, cowardly cattle. I would have killed them all if I were, if I were Eladomri. You lost your entire army? I lost little of value. How many survived? Where are they now? Who are you to question me? I am the emissary of the overlords. I ask you again, where is your army? Out there, we fought a night battle. The rebels started a fire upwind of our position, and many of the soldiers were trapped by the flames. And Eladomri? He escaped. You failed. This is only the first round. There are many acts yet to play. A new Evangar must be named soon. Then name me. Who else can you choose? Grevin? He's been a slave too long to know how to rule. There's another candidate. The flowstone around Belbe heaved like a sea swell. She ignored it, 
and when it was calm again, she said, I refer to Erte. That boy? Do the overlords know you're considering that arrogant little cur? The overlords know everything I do. Erte has magical gifts far in excess of anyone else on Wrath. His influence over Flowstone grows daily. Can he command an army? Can he govern? Can he rule? Those are questions still unanswered about you, Krovax. As for Erte, he's intelligent, clever, and has many insights. It was Erte, for example, who devised the stratagem of taking hostages from the local population to ensure they wouldn't lend support to Eladamri's rebels. Hostages? What a delightful idea. I give the pup credit. How many hostages? A thousand. Why she gave him the wrong figure, she didn't know. Where are they? The ruins outside of the city of traitors. I see. Thank you, Excellency. Then Belby demanded a full report of Krovax's failed attempt to pacify the rebels, and he left to get a good look at the hostages. Mm. Mm. It's like winking at a couple. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> after that, Belby went back to the airship docks, found Grevin, and ordered him to take Predator to intercept the Stronghold army, pick them up, and bring them home. So that's what he did. But it was before they had time to equip Predator with her onboard weapons. Ooh. So, by that point, the army was only one day's march from the Stronghold, which is where Predator picked them up. Nasser was ready for the third degree from Grevin, but the airship captain, captain seemed simply seemed pleased that so much of his army had survived Krovax's Mog's Aaron. It's from the book. Instead of saying fools. Anyways, <laughs> Nasser and the other sergeants filled Grevin in on the battle with the rebels and the aftermath while they returned to the stronghold. They also told him they didn't know where Krovax was, something that Grevin was pleased to hear. Grevin thought that no matter his fate, he had surely lost any chance at becoming Evan Carr. Man, Grevin's a real sympathetic character in this one. I like it. <laughs> so, on their way back, they spotted a group of elves about 40 strong. Grevin brought Predator about and descended on the group. Once she was close enough to them, Grevin had led a large group of his soldiers against the elves and massacred them. Uh, half a dozen of the elves escaped to tell the tale, though. They're, they're floating around up there and just, like, hitting parties of elves. Yeah, yep. just ju just jumping out and getting them. Everybody watch out. Hide your kids. <laughs> hide your kids. Hide your wife. And hide your husband. <laughs> and hide your husband. You don't have to come. And do this. Okay, I could go on. But I That's good. That is, a, that is a very good bit. Oh, it's That's so good. good. So, back at the stronghold, Dorian had discovered that all 6,000 Dalvec and Kor hostages were missing, as well as the soldiers guarding them. So while he was looking for Belbe to inform her of that, he also ran into Erte, explained the situation to him, and Erte was also pretty upset because he had suggested the whole thing. So he followed Dorian in his search, and they eventually found Belbe trashing Volrath's dream halls, just rugga-gugga-gugga, just, <laughs> just taking out the trash. Wow. So... So she was furious after her last chat with Krovax, and she was taking out her frustration on one of his dream orbs. Mm. So Dorian explained that when some stronghold guards arrived at the ruins with food and water for the hostages that morning, they were gone. 
but there were footprints leading away from the ruins toward a series of tunnels that led to the death pits. And so we mentioned the death pits in our Wrath and Storm series, but just to refresh everyone's memories, they were a series of chambers beneath the stronghold filled with an oily black semi-sentient substance that was a byproduct of flowstone production. The chambers separated the furnaces of wrath and the stronghold itself, and the substance that filled them was rumored to consume anything that got too close to it. So with that in mind, it's understandable that Dorian, Erte, and Belbe were concerned about the fate of the hostages. But in any case, the three of them made the trip to the ruins, and while they did, Belbe told the two men that Krovax was probably responsible for the disappearance, and with his command of Flowstone, he could also create a tunnel straight through the death pits to anywhere. Well, not, not anywhere. It's not like a portal, but you get it. <laughs> yeah. He's going <clears> to <throat> gobble up those 6,000 like, people. I can show you the world. It's <laughs> <laughs> a pile of dirty carpets. He's <laughs> like, my carpets burn. Uh. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, instead of Selenia being trapped in a uh, like an artifact, it should have been a pile of carpets. <laughs> a pile of dirty carpets. <laughs> I like that it's evolved into a pile of dirty carpets now. <laughs> that always makes things... Something that's funny making it dirty always makes it funnier. <laughs> so, when they arrived at the ruins... Uh, they, you know, confirmed that the hostages were gone, and they followed the footsteps. But instead of going into the death pits, they climbed over them to uh, a plain covered in knee-high yellow grass opposite the Stronghold Causeway. <clears throat> so Eric was right about the grass. I guess I, I guess say. I forgot about the grass. Yeah, it's good. Nice. So once there, he probably just read the book. That's what <laughs> happened. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> Eric reads every book that you do so that he can guess right. Yeah, yeah. And he critiques it silently, like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> two, it's like two stars on Goodreads. Uh, go check out my blog. So, <laughs> so once there, Belvey spotted a smudge on the horizon, a crowd of people, she thought. But when they arrived, it was actually a series of sharp poles jutting from the plane. And near the top of each one was one of the hostages, or one of the few stronghold guards Krovax had led out of the ruins. Belbe, Erte, and Dorian were horrified to learn that in the past few hours, Krovax had impaled every one of the hostages and guards on a spike of flowstone he jutted from the ground. Oof. Wow. Yeah, so it's like... Pew, pew, it kind of ruins the point of having hostages, Krovax. <laughs> Yeah, kind of does, kind of does. He's uh, he's not sweating it he's though. He's such an oaf. Yeah, he's a bad. He's bad. <laughs> he's like, you don't love me. I fucking hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna kill all your Stupid hostages. bitch, I love you. <laughs> and then and then he's like, I don't know how to do anything. I'll just kill everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should have had you playing Chromex. <laughs> <laughs> So with, with each death, Krovax became more powerful. Um, a great example of this is that he was so powerful now that he could, when he created a shape out of the flowstone, that shape would would remain. So, you know, all those spikes just standing there before he would have to, like, concentrate to keep them like that. Mm. Ooh, cool. Neat. Neato. So that being said, the, the three of them still hadn't found Krovax. As they made their way through the columns of flowstone spikes, they found the center, 
which was a clear space 20 meters wide. He was sitting at a flowstone table and surrounded by mogs when he noticed Belbe's arrival. He welcomed her, and her first question was her first question was why he would kill the hostages when the repercussions could be so catastrophic. With all respect, Excellency, you don't know what you're talking about. I was with the army when we were ambushed by the rebels. There were dull Advec warriors with the Sky Shroud elves. So you avenge your defeat on helpless old people and children? Yes. As Evancar, I will brook no resistance to my rule. The only law of the realm shall be obey or die. You're not Evancar yet. Then declare me so, now. There are other factors to consider. What? Him? Krovax whipped a knife off the table and thrust it at Erte. <laughs> I could kill him without even leaving my chair. We've seen what you've learned to do. Your mastery of the flowstone increases daily, but you lost a battle and a sizable part of your army with it. You show little understanding of how people should be governed, relying on naked force instead of statesmanship. In short, Krovax, your methods are inefficient. And as far as I'm concerned, the issue of who will succeed Volrath is still unresolved. You constantly amaze me, Excellency. Of course, you're right. We'll see in the coming days who the best man is, won't we? We will. Oh, we will. I hope so. <laughs> Krovax is toxic. He's a toxic <laughs> man. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, give me what I want right now, woman. And then she's like, no, you're bad. And there's other things to consider. And he's like, okay, I guess I'll be good for a little bit while longer until you pick me. Yeah. She's like, wash those carpets while you're at it. Yeah. I could just imagine him sitting on a chair on his floating dirty carpets. And you know, it's like the kind yeah. of, we're talking like the kind of unkempt carpets that are left over like after you carpet a few houses near a carpet company. Is that what you know, It's like, that's sure. the kind of carpets. Like the leftovers. <laughs> Right after that, Krovax teleported away, leaving Belbe, Erte, and Dorian to make the trek back to the stronghold on their own. Um, but um, just to be clear, I'm not sure yet if Krovax can teleport other people with him or things when he goes. I guess he can teleport his clothes, obviously, so he should be able to teleport other people. Otherwise, he'd teleport naked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Good he doesn't. Good point. Okay. So, by that point in the story, Eladomri, Tant Jova, and their rebels had made it to the Eye of Kore, which was a flat-topped mount, which was a flat-topped mound created over the course of several centuries by the Sky Shroud Elves. It was at the Eye that the elf tribes gathered to celebrate their most solemn ceremonies, like Christmas. And when they arrived, the oracle was already there. She had erected a tent without a door, and Tant Jova informed Eladomri that the door would appear when she was ready for him. Uh, and so they waited a while, and then the door appeared, and Eladomri went inside. Are you the Oracle Onvek? I'd hoped your first question would be more intelligent. Startled by her impudence, the elf leader replied, What is this? Did you admit me to snipe at my wits? Peace, O oh Eladomri. Take no offense at my free tongue, 
when past, present, and future exist in your mind at the same time, it's difficult to spare enough thought for manners. She raised her hand. Elodomery had heard the oracle was an aged crone, but the face he saw was as fresh as an open lily. He took, he took her to be no more than 15 years old. I'm much older than that. What you see is an illusion I will you to see. You read minds. When they're simple enough. I peer behind the thinker's eyes and read his words before they form on his lips. More insults. Why am I here, O Oracle? Your cause is just, O Elodomri, and your triumph's genuine, but final victory is beyond your grasp. All things are possible with God's help. Are you telling me the rebellion is doomed? It will never succeed on wrath. He didn't want to believe it. For all his invocation of the gods, Elodomri was a realist, believing first and foremost in Elodomri. It rankled him for this ancient oracle, this freak, to tell him flatly his cause was hopeless. Not hopeless. You will defeat your enemies one day, Elf Lord, and be hailed as the savior of a world not your own. Enough vagaries. Tell me something useful. What is Krovax doing at this moment? Blood and more blood. He feasts on their lives. Speak plainly. I must know Krovax's doings. I cannot speak it. This is useless. Can you tell me nothing of value? Two things, Oeladamri. Your destiny lies in the stronghold, not in the forest or on the plain. A door will be offered to you and you must enter. To do otherwise is to doom all you cherish. The stronghold? Should I attack there before a new Evancar is chosen? Is this what you are telling me? No. No attack on the stronghold will succeed. It will fall to the quietest of all. No man, no elf. You must go there in chains, O Elodomri. Go in chains. The dead one will open a door for you, and you must go. I don't understand. Will I be captured? Is that what you mean? Just then, the tent filled with smoke, and the oracle began to disappear. Where will this door take me? Her only reply was a fading whisper. To a land of light and color. Go there, go there, and be the Corvec doll. And she was gone. R.I.P. Whoosh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so Elodomri left the tent and informed Tant Jova and Darset that he planned to travel to the stronghold under the guise of giving himself up. But he needed a band of stronghold soldiers to take him there, so Darset and a mixed group of elves and Vec donned some wrathy armor and prepared to travel with Elodomri to the stronghold. And one of the um, doll that went with him was the famous Lynn Sivy, who was Tant Jova's granddaughter. She's, uh... Hey there, doll. <laughs> doll face. <laughs> uh, yeah, er, the, the listeners will know her uh, if you've ever played against a um, a rebel deck in Commander. She's usually the mono-white Commander. Because <laughs> that's yeah. common. I, I have. I have played against a rebel deck, and it it killed me. <laughs> yeah, it got, it got me. It got me, too. <laughs> <clears throat> so, just as they were preparing for their journey, the survivors from Predator's last massacre arrived and informed them that the scourge of Sky Shroud was airborne once more. So, although 
Predator's weapon systems weren't yet operational. With that in mind, Eladomri's trip took on a second objective, destroy Predator before she was fully operational. And off they went. R.I.P. <laughs> so by, the, by that point, Grevin, with Krovax's army in tow, had returned to the stronghold, and word had spread through the crater city about the massacred hostages. Uh, there was a bit of unrest, but no full-scale upri- uprising materialized. The city's inhabitants wouldn't attack the citadel while Grevin and Krovax were present for fear of another massacre. Kind of like when your boss is around. You know, you don't want to be, like, too sure. bad. Mm-hmm. Stay off your phone and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So after Belbe and Erte returned to the stronghold, she shared with him why she'd been trashing the dream halls, because I'm sure we were all wondering. Turns out she didn't really like Krovax. Not that any of us do. Uh, but she also wanted to hurt him. She wanted to break every bone in his body and then do it all over again. And destroying the dream halls was just a surrogate for her hatred for him. <laughs> and so I'm explaining this because she wasn't designed to feel one way or another about anything. She oh, was designed right. to choose the best person for the role of Evancar, um, meaning that she was having a bit of an existential crisis. Hmm. And Erte's response was pretty good, actually. He said that she should feel how she feels and not worry about it. I think that's good advice for yeah. everybody. Yeah, don't. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, um... Then she shared that she'd also been having feelings about him, Erte. Sexy feelings. Oh. Uh, she couldn't act on them, though, because of the lens Abcaldro implanted in her torso before she arrived on Wrath. And uh, while her masters could watch everything she did, she was also supposed to carry out her orders. So Erte offered to use magic to blind the lens, uh, neither of them being sure if such a thing would work. They gave it a try. And afterwards, Belbe asked, Did it work? There is no way to know for certain. Then she draped her arm around his neck and said, I don't care anymore. I'm tired of being a lens. I want to be alone with you, if only for a little while. Then they banked. I think we're alone now. (laughs) R.I.P. And Uh, that's where we'll (laughs) pick back up for the conclusion of Nemesis. Nice. Is this a Belby in the picture? Yes, yeah. that's uh, that's from the back. That's like the back art of the book. Oh, oh cool. Okay. Yeah, that's look, great. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. guessing this is Erte. Yeah, yeah. Think, of, think yeah. of how he's standing. Like if yeah, you're he's, if your head is out that far, but then it's still straight, and you're like looking to the left. Like oh, he's how, got a long neck. Yeah. Like how mm. <laughs> how does that? He's like I'm getting ropey. How does that work? It's really weird. <laughs> That looks. <clears throat> he looks inhuman. It does. He looks so finky in this picture. He's like, I'm a fink. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. you could probably like really easily think it up. Don a Urtai costume. Yeah. You would just have to put on a dark goatee. Yeah. Like, your hair is very similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you could do and that. I, and I. Th- you should walk around like this, this whole is... time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fink. <laughs> I think this is. I'll just be a fink. I'll just go as a fink. <laughs> People are gonna get that. I'll be like, I'm this guy for magic. They're gonna be like, you mean a fink? <laughs> so I think this is actually also like the first sex scene in the novels that we've covered. Like, sex has been like hinted at, but this is actual like it's not explicit at all. But it does like. Oh, it like, goes into they, details. It's not they like go, a little fade they, to black. They, they go in through a the little. Is what you're saying? 
a little a little bit. Yeah, nice. They do a little nice. bit. Of, they yeah. They follow from the yeah, rear yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyways, next week we'll cover Krovax's final attempts at becoming Evancar, as well as Eladomri's visit to the stronghold, and we'll find out if anyone can truly escape from Wrath. Krovax won't be the Evancar. Obviously. <laughs> okay. Okay, we're taking bets. Yeah. Um, Excellent. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, stay tuned for our conclusion next week. Ainsley, thank you for joining us, as always. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. And uh, thank you and Riley for your wonderful voice acting abilities. Um, I, that's what I've been enjoying most about, about these episodes <laughs> lately. Um, and uh, yeah, just check us out on all the platforms at Turn One Soul Ring, the podcast. Uh, we have a Patreon, Turn One Soul Ring, or uh, patreon.com slash Turn One Soul Ring. And um, if you want to get in touch with us, the best way to do that is on Instagram. Uh, just uh, DM us uh, at Turn One Soul Ring, the podcast. So until next week, everybody. Thanks, all. I know. See ya. Bye. Dirty carpets. See ya around. <laughs> <laughs> Where can I get some dry cleaning? I <laughs> Turn one soaring. Low batteries, it's not plugged in. Low battery. Plug me in, you shit. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Carpets. <laughs> Carpets. <laughs> <laughs>